It was always burning since the world's been turning We didn't start the fire It was always burning And it's the end of the world as we know it And I Welcome to This Is How We Die, a podcast about cities, infrastructure, disasters, and how you can survive. I'm Megan. And I'm Megan. Hi, Megan. Welcome to season two. It's finally here. That's right. We had every plan to return this summer, but a lot of things have changed. Megan is blonde now. It's true. You can't trust anything I say. I'm not going to say anything worthwhile. But also, we now live on opposite sides of the country. It's true. We both got our dream jobs, and um, that's great in some ways, but it also meant that I just went ahead and uh, moved to Austin, Texas. Which I'm not too worried about because they only have a couple of years until they run out of water. Sorry, Austin. And then we get Megan back. And until then, I'll just be one of those Texas blue voters. Like one of five. <laughs> <laughs> You all like wear your blue like cowboy hats together. Uh, um, we all live here in Austin together, um, kind of shaking our heads, confused by the rest of the state we're in. Well, that's only for now. Megan was had a Texas mug in her hand not two minutes ago, so Texas is Texas is acclimating her quite quickly. I'm hey. very excited. It's hard to not want to buy into being a Texan. So I may be Pacific Northwest, born, bred, raised, lived 30 plus years, but uh, six months in Texas. And I'm like, I'm all about the yeehaw. So now we're back to season two, the urban chaos. Megan, what does the urban chaos mean? What is this season about? So we're changing up a little from how we did our last season. And last season, you know, we focused on specific cities, pretty much told you why you were an idiot to live there, how they'd done a very bad job of building that city, and which natural disaster is probably going to take it down. However, there are some problems we've created ourselves just for, by doing this built environment and sticking all these people living together in a city together. And those are kind of issues that are shared by cities in general, not by one specific city in one natural disaster zone. And so we've kind of broadened our range of disasters and also kind of just trying everything we can to make you feel ashamed for living in these like tightly knit, heavily packed, built up environments called cities. It's true. So this season is a season of the universal hazards that afflict every single city. So if you were sad because, you know, we didn't talk about how you were going to die in your city, don't worry. This entire season, every single episode is applicable to you. Yep. And so today we're doing pandemics, which Pandemic. is very lucky because, you know, there's obviously the whole. <laughs> yes, I'm very excited. <laughs> so I've wanted to do a pandemic episode since I started, since we started the podcast. Right. Like, I think it was one of my first things I want to do. I love pandemics. It's like a hobby of mine, but it's not just always about doing the things that I want to do with this podcast. You know, you can't see her look that tells me don't argue with me or else, but <laughs> unfortunately with our podcast equipment, I can see it. Dun, dun, dun. But I mean, this is an important episode uh, because we happen to be having a potential mild pandemic. 
right now, coronavirus. Um, as of our recording, which is a few days before we're planning to release, um, there's 40,000 plus cases nation or not nationwide, uh, internationally. And, and by the time um, this actually releases, like who knows how many? Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're going to talk about like what is exactly the right amount of panic and what you can do to protect yourself um, in pandemics generally and in coronavirus vaguely. But we recognize that, um, that it's such a changing thing and that they are so unsure about so many things that have to do with coronavirus. Um, in my job right now, I get to sit on daily World Health Organization briefings, which is both like a dream and also makes me realize that I better not speak definitively about this virus at all until we're doing, you know, some really severe after action reporting afterwards. So, yeah. So this episode, if you want to hear about all about coronavirus and how it like exists, this isn't the podcast. If you want to hear about how you survive like any general pandemic, that's kind of what we're here for. So if you want that, I would suggest go to This Podcast Will Kill You, which is one of my favorite podcasts. It's so good. It's Aaron and Aaron, which is so ridiculous because we're Megan and Megan, but they're also really funny. So, um, but if you want, but this is all about the urban infrastructure and pandemics. So yeah. So let's start our episode the way we always do. Megan, how do I die in this pandemic? So here's something that I think the listeners need to know about you is that Megan should not be alive. Let's just, let's just admit <laughs> it. Like if the whole point of humans and breeding is to be breeding the next best thing each time around, somehow Megan slipped through there and she just keeps going and going. And so how will you die in this pandemic? I just know that you're not going to, you're just going to get like the worst case they've ever seen and somehow like crawl your way back from the brink of death. Like everything they think they know about pandemics, here comes this like frail fragile little creature and she just like won't go like it's just not going to take you down it's going to be the ghost of darwin coming into your hospital room and just like literally pitching you out the window because everything that he spent his life trying to build you insist on like disproving by continuing to carry on <laughs> i mean it's not true like i don't know how i'm still alive no seriously um, how are you still here like, it, it doesn't make any sense. I'm ridiculously hard to kill. It's funny because like, I always get into some situations where I should die and then I just don't. I mean, I'm not complaining, but it's just it's interesting. <laughs> I don't die until the ghost of Darwin kills me. That makes sense. Yeah. I, I can't stand by that. And, you know, me I with my strong immune system, I assume I've made it through just fine. So uh, try some other Megan uh, pandemic. As in my other friend, Megan, she's very weak. Just take her, take her. <laughs> so anyway, after you made this, this deal, this Faustine deal with the devil <laughs> and or, you know, Darwin, they, they, they come for me. It doesn't work out because, you know, I don't die easy. And so they come after you because you, you, you unfortunately bound our lives together by like making this like deal with the devil which you shouldn't have done because like now they need payment of some sort. So that's how you die. Cause Darwin kills you too, because I was so hard to kill or he didn't actually succeed. <laughs> um, or I do die. He does throw me out the window, but then a part of you dies too, because you miss me and also the guilt. <laughs> so well, the guilt, that's how you die. It does run deep in my family. So 
All right, so we both, one of us dies or both of us dies, depending on how mad Darwin is at us. And in the end, it's neither of our fault, and it's certainly not Darwin's fault. It's the fault of the deadly pathogen. So, Megan, do you want to hear about the deadly pathogens? Of course I do. So these these are the traits that are common to all deadly pathogens that start pandemics. Also, a lot of these characteristics are also familiar to people that have been in bad relationships, mostly with musicians. <laughs> so it was interesting writing this because I was like, interesting. I I've dated this pathogen. I know this guy. So this deadly pathogen is a a white boy who thinks he can play acoustic guitar. I hear you. He like brings it to like campus and just sings by himself waiting for people to amass. But in <laughs> And deadly pathogens, they do actually, they go to the public places. They want to be where people are. You know, they want to be where the people are. I want to see them dancing. dancing. Actually, there was a pandemic in which they did dance for days and days until they dropped down dead. Side note. Anyway, (laughs) um, but so the first thing you need to know about the deadly pathogen is that, you know, he's, he's probably lived like a somewhat normal life. Right, but he he wants he has an artist heart, he has a tortured heart, he wants chaos, he wants extreme events because that creates like the the feeding ground for his artistic material and or a weakening of your immune system so that you'll be more likely to fall prey to him to the, the bad, deadly pathogens um, attack. So there's that. And he's dark and he's twisted. And and you feel like you don't really get him because you don't because he keeps on morphing and changing to make sure that he can you know get everyone, but also he's dark and twisty because he either killed like a thousand people or half the world's total population ever. So he is a serial killer. So he's like the worst case scenario bad boyfriend. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I like that it goes from like twisty and emotionally manipulative and like also a serial killer. <laughs> Not usually the escalation my bad relationships have taken, but you know. <laughs> but this well, pathogen's like none other. He he's a special one. He's a very special one. And you know, just like heartbreak, the first cut is the deepest when it comes to this pathogen. Because, you know, if you have never been exposed to a bad musician boyfriend. You don't understand what you're dealing with. But the next time that happens, your immune system and or like you will have like, you'll be able to recognize the patterns, kind of see how this is going and build up a resistance to it. And or, you know, become 24 and get over it. Like one (laughs) of these two things will happen. Um, They want to live. Just like you and me, pathogens want to live. It's something they're desperate for. But just like most bad boyfriends, they're kind of parasites. So they feed off of you. They feed off your pain. They feed off of, you know, whatever your immune system is willing to give them. So you have to kind of protect yourself. And also they're they're into you, but they're also into all your friends. Like they're really cleaning with you, but they're also cleaning with all your friends. So it's never really just you. You're never like unique and special. Hey, and if the old... Uh, pathogen way was to just slowly infect everybody around you and in circles out from you. The new pathogen way, since we decided to 
bring people all around the world on ships and airplanes is just to go after every single person that uh, you come into contact with anywhere in the world. Whenever it comes to like, you know, your, your deadly virus pathogen, there are some first date or, you know, first exposure questions that you should be asking yourself to figure out how much you should panic. Yeah, once you realize the guy's a jerk, what do you need to know to find out exactly how much of a jerk? Like, you know, if you start perusing his social media and you see a lot of, um, you know, white supremacist stuff, that's pretty easy to figure out. But if it's more like difficult and shady and he just like super loves libertarian things, like it's harder than to kind of buy into whether he's awful or not. Yeah, because a lot of times they're good at pretending to be really innocuous, you know, like slightly off, but innocuous until until they're like, you know, you're in too deep and then it all takes a sudden turn. Um, but so there's something called the R naught. And so this is basically how infectious a disease is. Right. So measles has an R naught of 18. It's insane. Like a person with measles can cough in one room and two hours later, you can just like walk into that room and get measles. So for every one person who has measles, they give it to 18 other people. Um, Whereas so a lot of the flu, which is kind of the annual pandemic we deal with, is a lot lower. So uh, we just have so many opportunities for exposure that even though it's um, not getting people sick at the rate of, say, the measles, uh, you're getting exposed to it over and over and over again. And it turns out uh, that's hard on your immune system. And so for right now, the estimated are not for um, coronavirus is 2.5, which isn't awesome, but it's also not awful. It means that for every person who has it, they give it to like 2.5 other people. And God, so, I hope by the time this episode airs, it's not like all of a sudden the R-naught is, you know, 10. 25. And, <laughs> and everyone has it and they're listening to us from their hospital beds. They're like, what bad advice you gave us? And we that would be correct. That would be bad advice. Um The other piece of the matrix you're looking at is, okay, so we've talked about like how virile it is, how likely it is to infect you, but then what's the mortality rate? So if you do get this uh, pathogen, what is the likelihood that it's going to kill you? Because um, with measles, it's highly, highly infectious, but the like mortality rate isn't actually that high. Um, unfortunately, though, it can be very horrible if you do die from it. Uh, but then there are things like MERS, the, um, Middle Eastern respiratory syndrome, which like has, uh, very low transmission rates, but, um, almost half of the people who get infected with it die from it. And the, the third part is, are there drugs to treat it? Um, so like for coronavirus, not as of yet, they haven't found the effective drugs that would work for it. Um, apparently, the Chinese government is giving people HIV drugs to treat it. We haven't heard yet as to how that's actually working out for them. Um, but so, yeah, like in terms of like like rabies, for example, right? So it's very hard to get rabies. You literally have to get bit by a rabid animal and then not get the shots, right? But like, let's say you don't get the treatment, right? Then then when your mortality rate is like 99.9%, I think five people have like survived it and they were all put in induced comas. So these are the things you have to think about whenever it comes to a pandemic. So in terms of coronavirus, Megan, like how much should we panic on a scale of like one to 10? 
I'd say right now we should we're in the the low end of the panic. It's less like deadly than the annual seasonal flu that is going around right now anyway. It's less easy to catch than the annual season flu or seasonal flu. Um the fact is we're still not entirely sure about how um how it's transmitted person to person. But since most of person-to-person transmissions have been like between sick people and their caregivers or sick people and their family, that kind of gives you a sense that you're not walking into a room two hours later and you just happen to catch it because somebody had been there. Um, So right now, I think they're mostly the World Health Organization and, and the CDC are treating it very similarly to the flu. It's just a flu we don't have a lot of good information or understanding of yet. So it's hard to say like, freak out or don't freak out. So it's all just like, take good precautions, be very careful, be thoughtful, wash your hands, please. And uh, we'll let you know more later. And um, one of the best quotes I've heard from the WHO recently was that hysteria is contagious too. And I think that's what's really um, kind of driving a lot of their messaging. Yeah. So don't panic is what we're trying to say. Take precautions. Megan, what are the elements that kind of increase the likelihood of pandemics? Well, so our urban infrastructure really brings us um, face-to-face with pandemics more than um, maybe we would have been in the past. In part, this is because we have a very global economy and a very global travel network. And, um, you know, you can easily have someone who was in China uh, standing in the same restaurant as you in Seattle the next day. Like that, that's not a mind blowing concept for us anymore. <clears throat> and most of the, or all the cases we've seen in the U S um, have been people who like came from China and are in the U S and that's where they realize they're sick because it's really easy to move around when you don't know that you're sick yet. Um, and then, you know, we're living in this urban infrastructure that really puts us in the position of being very close to people all the time. And that's especially true. I mean, we have population density everywhere. Cities are very gross. Um, it's just, there's a lot of people living together in the same spot, coughing on and touching all the same things. Um, but especially in countries where you see slums or lack of like proper infrastructure, those are really um, key igniting factors to speed the severity of disease and outbreaks. Um, To start with, it's just like super hard to make like cities clean in any way and to deal with all the waste of people who live in a city together. Um, It's, it's extremely difficult to have everybody, you know, pooping in the same place without being exposed to any of each other's pathogens. I mean, that alone is, I mean, that's, that's the beginning of epidemiology. Uh, yeah. Did you, do you know about Hong Kong? Oh, I've heard of a Hong Kong, but. Well, I'm so Hong Kong in 2003, they had a huge SARS outbreak, like in one apartment complex and they couldn't figure out like why it was spreading so rapidly. And they quarantined everybody into their homes. And yet people who like didn't interact with each other who lived in the building were still catching SARS and they couldn't figure out like why when everybody's quarantined and they're not hanging out with each other, are they catching the same form of SARS? 
And what they realized was that the water pressure in the waste system wasn't enough to actually like flush the contents of the toilets all the way out of the building. And so what would happen is people would use the restroom, things wouldn't actually get like flushed all the way down the toilet. And then the HVAC system would kick on, draw air in for heating and cooling and spread this pathogen all around the building. Uh, That's so horrifying to think about. (laughs) Which like, it's really, not that they didn't have good plumbing, it's that it just wasn't good enough. Right. They just like failed to get the right plumbing pressure. And then their high-end HVAC system that was keeping everybody like properly warm and cool was also um, you know, essentially just throwing bathroom particles all over everyone's homes. Um, but this is this is how we die. So I'm gonna have to ask you. Great, it's an urban infrastructure problem, of course. But how is this also the fault of climate change? So just as everything with climate change, climate change makes everything worse, right? Because your weather weather events are becoming more volatile, but also more severe. Um, And so there's there's a lot of different ways that the climate is changing, the atmosphere to make it worse for the spread of pandemics. One is that it's just getting warmer. And so mosquitoes are able to, you know, fly up into warmer areas where they would normally die. And so all of a sudden the radius of where mosquitoes can like spread water, uh, mosquito borne illnesses has greatly increased. And um, deforestation has also been an issue. The recent breakout in Ebola Um, It happened 2,000 miles away from its original location, which is why it took them three months to identify it because they didn't think that bats could fly that far. But since all of the trees had been cut down and the natural habitat of the bats had been removed, the bats had to go somewhere and they just went 2,000 miles away. So all of a sudden, diseases that would typically stay in one region are moving a lot further. Then there's also... The fact that, you know, our glaciers are melting and the permafrost is melting. And so all these dead things that died of diseases, you know, 10 years ago, 100 years ago, 10,000 years ago, they're all, they found uh, people who have died of smallpox. They found, found people that died of the 1918 flu. Um, they blamed the 2016 anthrax outbreak in Siberia on um permafrost but i mean that's kind of contentious i don't i don't know if that's actually how what caused it yeah i feel like i should at least slightly reassure people that scientists have not been able to create living viruses or bacteria yes. from these dead bodies <laughs> yeah, so, so that's the thing is you haven't actually they haven't been able to like actually they've been able to find all sorts of scary pathogens but they haven't actually been able to make them like live to like go infect other things but you never know there's always going to be that one and as we, we should- said like we should say yet because scientists just seem to do uh, – if it sounds like, cool and interesting, <laughs> they chase it it's down. Like, it's like I don't get it. Like why Why would you want a pathogen to live again, right? It's kind of like, you know, you're like, oh, we can – did you hear what they're like, oh, you know, we can make like giant frog – like giant um, pigs in China. Like that's like their new thing they're trying to do. And I'm like there's actually a book about this. It's called The Fatal Eggs by Bulgrove where the Russian government – tries to make like huge eggs to make it th- more efficient and then like the chickens go crazy and kill everyone um they're trying to recreate the dinosaurs right now why did nobody see jurassic park 
Yeah, I feel like and Jurassic why, Park is very clear about why that's a bad idea. Yeah, like they they actually devoted time to being like talking to the scientists bad idea. But worse than creating dinosaurs is trying to recreate deadly pathogens that we have no way how to like we don't know how to cure them, we don't know how to fix them, we don't know how to prevent them. All we know is that scientists are like, ooh, a deadly pathogen that's been dead for lots of time. We don't know how like deadly it is, but let's try to make it live again. So I guess I guess actually another risk that we should put down for a pandemic is, you know, scientists. Over eager scientists. Whole human foolishness. But also, you know, most pandemics that have ha- not most of not all pandemics have happened after extreme conditions and that can be climatic. It could also be social, right? So it could be that, you know, there was a drought one year. Um, like for example, a, a few year, months ago, we talked about the, the great freeze in France when we were talking about, um, you know, the deep freeze in Chicago, but what we didn't tell you, or maybe we did, I forget is that, so that great freeze, I remember you thought the next year, there were pandemics that broke out, all over because people had been starving and hungry. And so their immune systems were um, compromised. And also, you know, they had gone through this really extreme cold event and then it's a thought and all these things unfroze. And so that kind of led to the conditions that led to another pandemic. Yeah. So that like um, unusual weather conditions are often like fodder for, for pandemics or for pathogens because they can really thrive on what's like unusual and strange for us. So um, I don't know if you've heard of like the Memphis yellow fever outbreaks of the late 18 or like 1870s. But so I had never heard about this until Megan was like, remember? And I was like, no. <laughs> well, how is there a pandemic that I'm not aware of? I was very upset. That's because it's fascinating. I do things for fun, like reading books like um, The American Plague, which is a book by Molly Caldwell Crosby. And it is it's about like yellow fever and how it shaped the history of vaccines, but also how it um kind of nearly destroyed the city of Memphis and that um, Memphis never like, I mean, obviously it's a major city now, but the economic hit it took when, um, when yellow fever came through was incredibly significant and um, kind of set the, set the city back decades. Um, And that's because they had a very, wet and mild winter that didn't have a lot of freezing and then it, they had this extended summer and really what that meant was they had like the perfect conditions for the Aedes aegypti mosquito which is basically also known as like the devil mosquito because it's the one that can spread things like <laughs> like yellow fever but also malaria and zika like this is the like asshole mosquito that uh, keeps bringing the worst things to human beings And uh, despite their efforts at quarantine and despite their attempts to kind of figure out why this was happening, they didn't really understand that it was a mosquito-driven plague. And so people were just kind of getting sick all over the place. It killed over 2,000 people and had this extremely high mortality rate for those who were infected. Um, The mortality rate of yellow fever is so high that a single case in the United States is considered an epidemic. By the CDC. So if one person oh, no way. gets yellow fever, it's considered an epidemic. Oh, that's insane. 
you know, I almost had to get a yellow fever. There's a vaccination for it, there isn't is. there? And in fact, yeah. it was invented by people who were trying to like solve the problem of what had happened in Memphis. And they went to Cuba, set up a whole shop there in order to kind of figure out what the cause was. That's how they found out that it was the mosquitoes spreading it. But they also got the vaccine by repeatedly infecting themselves with yellow fever because they couldn't like in good conscience keep asking people to take part in their trials because they kept killing them they, they kept dying of yellow fever exposure oh my god that's like dedication yeah so i highly recommend you read the american plague uh, yes I'm, i will read it i'm pretty sure it was somebody's dissertation but it's also pretty excellent now that's fascinating um i'd also recommend the great mortality that's my favorite uh, book about the bubonic plague. It's great. Um, I won't right, go to all the details about it. She has a favorite book about the bubonic plague. It is the best of the four I've read <laughs> by far. Because it shows how it travels all around the world and how like uh, how it evolved, which is like the most evil things about pathogens is that they're so good at evolving. Um, they're very adaptable, just like us. So you can't really hate them for it. It's not their fault they're good at living. Um, but something that's very interesting about the yellow fever uh, that I'm going to bring up is that so it had a 70% mortality rate for uh, the white people of Memphis and only 7% mortality rate for um, the black community. And so it's interesting because a lot of the black population that have been there, they've been there for generations, meaning that the immunity that was conveyed upon them from like coming from Africa and like growing around these mosquitoes, that it held out for generations um, to protect them all these years later from getting yellow fever. Whereas the, you, like the white population who hadn't, whose parents hadn't been exposed to yellow fever, they were very, um, they were hit hard. Yeah. So it says a lot about how our immune systems work. And I essentially like every time you get exposed to something, your immune system writes a little novel about like how to deal with it and tucks it away. And it's a little immune system library. And you can actually see like the notes from those immune systems being passed on through the generations. And you can also see that if a pathogen doesn't have to evolve, if it doesn't have to change to keep infecting people, it won't bother. It'll just, it'll just find a new group of people to infect. It's only when um, we kind of build up good defenses against it and everybody's got, everybody's got the, the playbook on how to beat it, that it just like turns a corner and becomes something completely different. So I guess what? I'm all different now. You won't even recognize me. I've changed. <laughs> yeah, I dyed my but hair. I, I moved to Texas. Uh, wait, no, that's me. <laughs> I made all sorts of changes. <laughs> um, so let's talk about what will happen to your city during a pandemic um, or the cascading impacts. So, Megan, this is your city on pandemic. Kind of like your brain on drugs. You see my thing? Did I do that well? I did that poorly. Let's try again. <laughs> no, please keep all of that. So my city on pandemic, chaos will ensue. It just will. I think we're seeing that literally right now with coronavirus. Um, I have people coming to me and saying, we know someone traveled to a totally different Asian country that's had no cases of coronavirus. Should we tell them they can't come to the office? And I'm like, that seems really extreme to me, but you know, Megan and I are hedging our bets and not telling anyone any like, no at all. We're, we're just, 
we're telling them to keep on, carry on, and and don't blame us if they die of coronavirus. Um, but people people panic. They really do um, get really worried about about catching it from one another, especially when we're talking about something that's emerging. So the reason why we panic at coronavirus and we maybe aren't panicking about seasonal flu, even though it's something that people tend to get exposed to a lot more and die from a lot more is that we think we understand the seasonal flu and that we have experience with it and we we know what it's going to do for us. And when something like coronavirus is emerging, we don't have that same feeling and it, it causes a lot of panic and chaos. But also the flu is lying to us. Like you think you know, but you have no idea. Like this is the real world and this is the flu. And so there's something called the adaptogen, like the the flu virus, every single year when you get the flu shot, it's a different variation of the same flu, basically, right? And so the shot that you get in like 2019 might be a mix of like 2016 and 2017, but no, mostly it's, it's just the year before 2018, which is foolish because it's rarely the same version as the year before. Sometimes it is, but that's not that common. Um, like the one flu shot that I I'm like made sure to get was the one that was in 2015 because it had a strain of the 1918 Spanish flu, which is interesting because that was an adaptogen shift, right? So and that means that it just shifted away from like its normal structure. It was an entirely new type of flu, right? But every year whenever it's just a variation, it's called adaptogen drift, right? It's just a little bit different. But a shift is a seismic change basically within the actual structure of it, meaning that nobody really has any immunity to it. And so the flu is lying to you. You never really going to know the flu. You're never going to be able to like, you know, figure the flu all out. Um, it's true. We should be just as panicked about the flu because um, we we just think we know it because we've heard its name before and because we've had it before and we made it through just fine. Um, except, you know, the tens of thousands of people a year who do not. Yeah. And the 1918 flu... Um, like, I mean, first of all, they called the Spanish flu because it was the only war, like the only country that was neutral in World War One, which is kind of like sad for Spain. Like they were like the only ones like really kind of innocent and they were like, they could say it was their flu. And, um, I think it was also because there's a lot of globalization. There are a lot of like, uh, it started in Kansas technically, but also there's like out there break outbreaks everywhere. But what was interesting about it is like, you will just died so quickly and so people didn't try to take care of each other. Like in Philadelphia, like they would just throw the bodies out on the street and just like have them go get it because everybody was so scared. And they say that a lot of people would have lived through the Spanish flu. There had been somebody there to take care of them, but either everyone else around them died or people were too scared to like go help them. So whenever your city has a pandemic, like this is kind of what you have to be afraid of. And, and all the people who are healthy are going to get out. Anybody who can leave will leave. And the fear is real. Uh, doctors and medical staff are often the ones who catch like pandemic or pathogens early on during pandemics. And they're the ones who are getting sick. They're the ones who are getting sick right now with coronavirus. It's like a lot of them who are catching it, who, you know, weren't directly at the source of the virus are now doctors and nurses caring for people who have it and getting exposed in that way. So that means doctors and medical staff obviously start to die off early. And they also, they're trying to communicate with one another and learn from one another about what they have going on. And so you have the exact same people who have all the knowledge about the illness um, simultaneously treating patients, 
getting sick themselves, trying to share information with one another and not letting like quality of care collapse at all in the process. But it will. And there's also this interesting thing where, you know, typically in emergency situations, we always say that people kind of do pull together. Social cohesion is important. Um, but in this situation, every person is your enemy. And it's not that they're like, you know, they're not like actually your enemy, but they're, they might be carrying a pathogen which will kill you, right? So you won't be able to expect any kind of social cohesion or help. Um, yeah, you should be true. trying to isolate yourself. Yeah, like and me helping you after a hurricane is not going to make more hurricane come my way. But me helping you during a pandemic might cause me to be exposed to whatever your gross is. Yeah, quarantines are a good thing. Um, but looting will happen. Be an early looter, an early adapter, if you will. <laughs> this is the most pro-looting podcast that I think well, anyone's I'm ever recorded. Saying, it's true, but it's just like you need supplies. That's where that's going to be, especially in regards to medicine. At the same time, like if there's a pandemic, there's, it, there's probably not going to be an effective medicine that you're going to be able to steal from your pharmacy because if there was – this probably wouldn't happen. It probably wouldn't be a pandemic. Exactly. Yeah. So like, don't attack your pharmacist guys. It's not cool. And so the city infrastructure is going to fall apart. Um, but it, like at, at the same time, it won't be like the water will still run. Probably electricity will continue, you know, but a lot of the, the things that we take for granted, it's not going to be like it is normally. Yeah. Transportation so systems are hard to run when you don't have anyone who wants to drive a bus full of strangers around. And um, even right now in China, they're facing food shortages at grocery stores because they, the quarantine has limited so severely like roads in and out. And obviously people who want to work in a grocery store and be exposed to the public that they're not able to like get all the food and actually staff all the stores in order to support just getting people the basic needs of groceries. And I think there's also um, the the fact that the supply chain lines are breaking down. Mm -hmm. And so even if they do have people to staff it, it doesn't matter because the food won't be there because people aren't sending food across those lines people aren't putting themselves at risk so if you're in a city with a pandemic there's a chance that you will your city will be quarantined um and that won't be fun and but the supply yeah. chain lines i mean that speaks also to what an incredible impact this can have on on your city or your nation's economy. Um, coronavirus, they, they're seeing shortages in their supply chains in so severe that the Hyundai plant in South Korea suspended their production because they couldn't get all the actual pieces they needed from China in order to actually build the cars that they want to sell to you. And um, companies like Microsoft with their Xbox and Sony with PlayStation are starting to be concerned that they're not going to have the materials that they need to continue building their product. And so, you know, it might seem like, you know, we can live without cars and we can live without video games, but um, that's not, you know, those are a huge part of people's like economic strength. And when we start to take that away, then we start to see like longer term failures because of this short term illness. Yeah. Um, so it, it will, it does cause like it both, causes wars but it also creates like these vacuums which also allow for like some political conditions to change um it like devastated sparta 
Um, or no, Athens. It, it doesn't Athens. say anything. Yeah. It would not have been Sparta uh, had it not been for a pandemic. I think of tuberculosis or typhoid. Let's say typhoid. Uh, Typhoid makes the most sense, I feel like. But a major pandemic swept through Athens um, during the Peloponnesian War. And they had actually been like, they had been in the position of strength. They were in, they had the best geographic and like the best forces to actually win this war. And then thousands of people were wiped out or weakened by a like unknown pathogen that that spread through the city. And that's kind of what gave Sparta the, the upper hand to be able to come in and, and take over. And it also vastly changed the culture of Athens, which had been very kind of like open and free loving. And um, people became more like rule bound and strict as they tried to like set parameters in place that they hoped would stop the spread of whatever this illness was. All those people might just go ahead and die. You know, they're they're running around in a chaos around their cities, stealing from their pharmacists who can't even help them anyway. But what about you and me? What about our listeners? Like, how are we going to survive? What do we need to do to protect ourselves? Yes, this is a good question. And so as someone who brought patient zero to her wedding and then made her entire wedding sick, what advice would you give, Megan? Okay, well, let's just start with, I didn't bring patient zero to my wedding. He was a groomsman. He was a groomsman. (laughs) So, yeah, so I know what you're talking about. I got married um, in the fall of 2009, which means that I was right there at the beginning of, like, the second wave of swine flu. And it is true that one of our groomsmen almost passed out during the ceremony because he wasn't feeling very well. And um, he he just looked terrible. And a few of the other folks in our wedding were kind of um, clearly coming down with something. What I didn't realize at the time was that they not only had swine flu, but they were passing it around wildly to all of our guests um, who had come from like 16 different states in order to celebrate our special day with us and then flew home on airplanes to their own home states uh, just to then be diagnosed with swine flu and pass it on to everyone they knew. Um, that, that included... You know what I love? Like the, is like... <laughs> oh, just the first week of my marriage, my husband was like so sick. He just laid in bed like complaining about being sick and saying that our TV was too small. Oh, and you're like, this is what the rest of my life is like. <laughs> oh really my God. Been, yeah. Um, but my favorite part of this whole story is like, I don't know if you've ever seen Contagion, but if you are interested in like how this might play out in real life, watch Contagion. It's such a good movie. Um, but they like have this thing where like they're, they keep on going back to like the, where their patient zero was like trying to figure out who patient zero was. And basically they're all this casino in Macau um and they're like tracking back they're like okay this person talked to this person and like this is like this person touched this person's phone and like this is what and they they freeze frame looking for this person and i just imagine people like the cdc going through your wedding photos (laughs) like being like okay like patient zero is one of these people and it's like you smiling with like the cake and they're like cake like somebody ate that cake and that's how they got swine flu and it's just 
your basically your your wedding photos are like crime scene photos actually yeah but we got married very young so it's not really hard to know where how this might have gotten passed from person to person because i am sure that the cdc would be like communal whiskey bottle who snuck that in and why is everyone (laughs) drinking from it (laughs) they're like oh college college students that's (laughs) the worst um I myself was quarantined, or actually that's not true. I was hiding from the quarantine in China because I did get swine flu. Megan, if you could go back to your wedding party and tell your your guest how not to get swine flu, besides not going to your wedding, what advice would you give them? <laughs> well, probably we should have left patient zero at home. Uh, yeah, if you are sick and you have a fever and you feel horrible, even if you feel like the obligation you have that day is too great to back out of. Um, trust me, your friends will understand. If they can forgive you for getting every single one of their friends and family members sick, they can forgive you for staying home sick on the day of their wedding. Question, do you still talk to this person? Do you make fun of them for being patient zero? <laughs> uh, this is a friend of my husband's and they do still talk, but that does make me feel less at liberty for constant mockery than say if my friend Megan had gone ahead and gotten everybody at my wedding sick. A lot of what it comes down to in protecting yourself though is like going back to the basics, like stop being disgusting. Like do not cough and sneeze all over people and don't let people cough and sneeze all over you. Wash your hands all the time. Clean the surfaces that you touch. Like stop touching your damn face so much and like I know I'm a terrible culprit when it comes to this and I can see Megan on video. We've done it plenty of times. Yeah, we're always touching our face. Um, But, you know, like take those small steps to protect yourself because um, a lot of how we're spreading pathogens around is by being disgusting and, um, you know, having our waste all around us all the time and failing to actually do basic hygiene things. Yeah. And, and also like for just wash your hands, don't use the antibacterial things that you put on your hand. Like that's not really helpful. Yeah. Hand sanitizer. It's the hand sanitizer they sell in the store is not high alcohol enough to actually make the impact that you think it's going to. But, uh, even just running your hands under cold water without soap has shown to like remove more bacteria and germs from your hands than using hand sanitizer. So like if, if all you have is cold running water, like start washing things away. Yeah. And you know, it's not a bad investment to just buy a couple of those boxes of like the little um, packets of rubbing alcohol. Like I, I actually use this quite a lot for my phone uh, just cause my phone is disgusting. I carry it on all day. It's like an all sorts of things. So I just like have a few extra packets and I like put it on my phone and you know, just swipe it off so that it's not so gross. Um, so yeah, if you are going to like try to do sanitization, get like real rubbing alcohol. It's also like an eighth of the cost. So it's more cost effective and stronger and effective. Um, facial masks. What's your thought on that, Megan? You've had lots of discussions about this. <laughs> so my thought is, do you need a bunch of masks? No. Uh, the whole point of N95 masks is to protect you from airborne particles. Um, Most of the illnesses that we've discussed are not airborne. Um, Obviously, measles is one of those that is that we discussed, but most of what we discussed isn't airborne, including um, 
Well, I think they're still not totally sure about coronavirus, are they? So I won't say that. I won't say you don't need the masks. Um, But most of the time, people don't even buy the proper masks. They're buying just very basic um, kind of surgical masks that don't have an airtight seal around the face um, and don't have any kind of like respirator filter. And so what those are really good for is like, if you are sick and you don't want to be like spitting all over people when you're talking and like passing your particles around, then like, yeah, that's great. You should probably wear one of those. Stop passing your particles around guys. It's not cool. Nobody really wants them. Yeah. I mean, if you're sick, you could also like stay at home and, um, you know, do yourself that favor that this is, you know, um, we'll talk more about policy changes that you might look at for your city to prevent pandemics. But one of the most effective things that people can do is ensure that people have some form of sick leave, because when it's a choice between paying your bills and spreading your illness around, um, most of us are going to pay our bills, recognizing that that that's really the only choice in that situation. So what are some of the policy changes that we can do uh, just in general, like long term to kind of help prevent a future pandemic? Um, And one of the best ways to avoid that is to put some good money into water sanitation and solid waste management. So just making sure that that water system from beginning to end, especially if it's picking up human waste, um, is running effectively and efficiently and that you have kind of everything in place that you um, need to get to get the illnesses that are in that away from you. Um, just epidemiology, which is the study of like where what patient zero was, how an illness came to be in a population, it like goes back to um, people drinking water that was coming from an unclean source. And so like you're really talking about like the the very essence of how we even understand pandemics goes back to a study of where people were getting their drinking water from and whether that tied to whether they were suffering from cholera or not. I obviously am very, very, very obsessed with clean water and making sure that we support our critical water infrastructure. I think it's the most, it is the most important thing we can do to protect our cities um, and populations from any kind of pandemic. Clean water, guys. And also making sure that you maintain the wastewater pipelines as well to make sure that they get out of the city. Invest money in infrastructure. <laughs> like the, like our like our rallying cry is always complain about deferred maintenance. Yeah. And we need to have it be more catchy. <laughs> complain about deferred not maintenance. A, yeah, that, that's like not a good rallying cry. <laughs> so some podcasts have the like the stay sexy, don't get murdered. And we have the like be super mad about deferred maintenance. Request infrastructure funding. Yes. <laughs> believe, believe in municipal bonds. Yes, no. Um, we need better call. Well, guys, help us. Can you give us some hashtags or interesting things like like good rallying cries? Because apparently we aren't good at that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. unless you want to start wearing t-shirts that say like smart infrastructure is a good idea, which about as good as Megan and I are going to come up with. Um, we're going to need your help. Yeah. So 
help us with this. But smart, this. smart infrastructure is a good idea. And yes. so we, we should also be building infrastructure that doesn't um, kind of contribute to the things that spread disease and illness in our cities. Um, you know, in places like Cuba, they've had huge um, impacts on mosquito-borne illnesses just by having public works projects where they went around and dumped standing water out of things or removed it from pieces of infrastructure that were causing standing water to collect. So basically, our lesson here is try not to be so disgusting. Go ahead and help build up your immune system in any way you can, um, which, you know, vaccines would be really helpful there. I'm just going to throw in that plug. Um if you allow me to use my library metaphor yet again, uh, vaccines are like the Cliff's Notes for helping you to understand uh, illnesses that you might be exposed to and giving your immune system the tools it needs to fight those uh, illnesses. And, um, you know, we, the biggest thing in the And cities, no one is too good for Cliff Notes. <laughs> it's true. Uh, you know, there was a time that it seemed like cheating. And then there was a time when it was like, actually... This book is unreadable. It, it's like it kind of cracks me up if parents are like, "Oh, like I use Cliff Notes, but my child will have to read all of this book, all of War and Peace, <laughs> aka get measles." Like that doesn't seem quite fair, now does it? Just saying. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's that's all I've got. I, all I've got is yeah. the measles are basically War and Peace. Yeah. So this is pandemics. Don't panic. Yeah, we have Instagram. You can follow us at This Is How We Die Podcast. And on Twitter, you can follow us at T I H W D Pod. Um, you get one and Megan I, more in one place and the other Megan more in the other. So I'll let you guess which one you're getting. I mean, I'm just really hoping that people like all of my Valentine's Day tweets that I've d- done. Twitter is so addicting. It's also viral. Like you can't help it. Like you're just like all of a sudden you're like, ooh, like I'm 15 years late to the to the Twitter game, and I like can't get over it. It's really fun. Um, Guys, have you heard of Twitter? It's super fun. Um, a couple of weeks ago, no, a couple months ago, I was I discovered I got into the whole like baseball hat train. I had never really like worn baseball hats before, and so I was like with a group of people who've like worn baseball hats their whole life, like normal people. And I was like, guys, have you like, baseball hats are actually pretty cool because they shade your face. There's like this, this flap. And I was like, am I, am I mansplaining hats to a group of men? Are you talking about baseball caps as if like you were the first person to ever like. It was absolutely speaking about baseball hats just like that. I was like, guys, there's like baseball hats and they shade your face and that's what makes baseball hats so effective and nice to wear you're like it's and a then hat I like and myself. shade but you still have your peripheral vision this is incredible <laughs>